What's up, awesome people, and welcome to another episode of the Outdoor Gear Podcast. When I rolled the dice, the state I came up with was Vermont. I've been to Vermont quite a few times. My wife went to school there, and like late spring, summer, early fall, great place to visit. Unfortunately, today I don't have very many in Vermont, so please, if you know of anyone making cool stuff in Vermont, outdoor-related, Please send me an email so I can get them added to the list. With that being said, let's start with the first company. Again, I just do these alphabetically. Alpine Luddites. This is a company of one that makes backpacks. And the cool thing about that is you always know who you need to talk to. The company was started in Colorado, I think down in Uray, and then relocated to Vermont, So if you need to contact Alpine Luddites and talk to John and you notice there's a Colorado area code, that's why. There's typically a fairly long wait to get a bag just because John is doing all of the work. He takes care of everything, the design, the cutting, the sewing, the shipping, returns, customer service. He does all of that. So if you head over to their website, which is alpine-luddites, L-U-D-D-I-T-E-S dot com, and put in an order for something, you'll probably get an email back, or you'll see on their website what the wait time is. If you see something you like on there, but you want to customize it just a little bit, there is a custom option. Next on the list is Darn Tough. I think I mentioned Darn Tough in the last podcast. All of the socks that I own are darn tough socks. It's been that way probably for close to 10 years now. The thing that I liked about it the most is that I always knew what I was going to get. There was a lot of consistency with the socks. However, the past, I don't know, two to three pair that I bought, they seemed a little tighter on top of my foot near the ankle, but they're still very comfortable. I don't know if they changed the design a little bit or maybe they cut back on some fabric or added something. Not real sure, but I I have noticed that. One thing that I really like about their socks is the weight options. With some other brands, like not including Cloudline or Farm Defeat, but some other well-known brands that I'm not going to say their names, I've noticed they have one, sometimes two weight options for their entire line. You might be offered varying degrees of cushion in certain areas on the bottom, but the overall thickness and warmness of the sock is the same. With Darn Tough, they have four options. They have an ultralight option, a lightweight option, a midweight option, and a heavyweight option. The best way to describe this would be a running sock, an everyday use sock, a hiking sock, and like a mountaineering hunting sock. Of course, they have their own terms that are used for marketing purposes. That's just kind of simplified. So you might see something a little different on the website. There's really something for everyone with Darn Tough. And when I visited their website just a few days ago, I noticed that there's a pop-up on the homepage and they're giving away seven pairs of free socks. All their socks come with a lifetime guarantee. So basically you're getting socks for life. The website is darntough.com. This next company is actually a company that I found. They were the first company that I found making this piece of gear. I ended up finding a few more across the U.S. And since I've been putting this website and podcast together, I've come to the realization that there's not really anything that we can't make in the U.S., 
other companies to do it because they have lower startup costs by outsourcing all of that, you know, to people who already have the equipment and sewing machines to produce a product. You can often end up with better profit margins whenever you outsource. And frankly, some people just don't want to deal with managing others on a day-to-day basis. This company makes the Dion and Nevatrek Snowshoes brands. They are made in Vermont and New York, so I can mention them on the Made in New York episode as well. Just think about this for a second. A snowshoe is not an easy piece of gear to manufacture, from what I can tell. There's a fair amount of labor and metal bending involved. The bindings are riveted. You have the deck and the heel plate, the crampons, the pivot strap. There's many moving parts in this system, and the Dion line of snowshoes are made for racing, so they also have to be lightweight and extremely durable. As I mentioned, there's a couple of other companies around the U.S. that are also making snowshoes. I didn't see anyone specifically making them for racing. I definitely want to get someone from this company on the podcast, give us all a lesson on snowshoes and manufacturing. It'll be very insightful, I'm sure. I could be totally wrong. These could be super simple to build, but I have a feeling they're not. The website is dionnevitrek.com. D-I-O-N-N-E-V-I-T-R-E-K. Dionnevitrek.com. Next on the list is a company that we've probably all heard of, and that is Orvis. Orvis is celebrating 165 years in operation this year. Since they've been around longer than any of us, and we've probably all heard of this before, I just want to remind you that if you're looking for fly fishing gear, this is a great place to start. And before anyone out there starts screaming at me and sending me nasty emails, I know that not everything they sell is made in the USA, but much of their high-quality fly fishing equipment is made in the USA, and that's why I have them on the list. Just as a a side note, another side note, I seem to be doing this often in this podcast series, it does not need to be expensive to get into fly fishing. I've seen people that have never been fly fishing before spend $800 on a fly rod, then go spend $600 on a reel because they read somewhere that it was the best. Best is relative, and I would suggest that if you are wanting to get started or interested in fly fishing, try to find someone to take you, to let you borrow theirs. Get a Groupon for a two or three hour guided tour where they supply the fly rod and flies and everything else you need and can teach you how to cast and it's more of like a practice thing so you can see if it's something that you actually want to do. I also don't recommend buying used gear to get into fly fishing if you don't know how to inspect the gear for flaws and damage. Because unfortunately, I've seen people try to mask those flaws and sell a very expensive fly rod for 70 or 80% of the retail value, but because of the damage, it was actually useless. An inexpensive combo set can be easy to obtain. I've seen them go for less than $100 and a combo set is going to be your fly reel, your fly rod, and have your line on it with the leader and the tippet. It's just a very inexpensive way to get started. 
a $1,500 setup does not make you a better angler than a $100 setup. Your chance of catching fish is not any better as a beginner. As you get good at fly fishing and confident in your abilities, then you can upgrade based on your fishing style and you can find rods that work better for you and how you fish. All right, moving on. Next company I have is Skida, S-K-I-D-A.com. They make headwear and other accessories. If you go to their website, they have a wide selection of headgear. They have some alpine hats, Nordic hats, headbands, banditos, bandanas, bram hats, neck warmers. The best I can tell, just clicking on their website, it looks like everything they have is a stretch material um, that is 90 plus 92% polyester and 8% spandex with a very high UPF rating. I have personally never worn any of these, and I don't think that I've actually ever had a beanie or anything that was made from polyester. I could definitely see the advantages for having the polyester if you're out running, doing something physically active. That would definitely keep you warm and pull moisture away at the same time. So it's a so it's something I'm going to look more into and maybe order and just kind of do a review on. I'm a little skeptical about how tight it would be because most of the images they have on their website, these are very tightly fitting and I typically don't like that. But I'll order one anyway and give it a shot and let you know what I think about it. We are making it down to the bottom of the list. Now we have two companies left, Vermont Flannel Company. The last time I was in Vermont, which was late 2019, I was in Burlington and stopped at their store. Went in, looked around, checked it out. They, these are, I, I don't own one, but these are really high quality, well-made. I was looking at their flannel pullover. I ended up not buying one because they didn't have the color that I wanted in my size. That's okay, not a big deal. Maybe next time I'm up there, I'll stop in again. They can at least vouch for the quality of their flannel pullovers and flannel shirts. Very well-made, very comfortable. So it's certainly a company that I would recommend if you were looking for some nice, well-made flannel clothing. VermontFlannel.com And finally, another company of which I have tried on their product before, and that is Vermont Glove. You can find them at VermontGlove.com. They make 100% goat leather gloves and have been doing it since 1920. So they just had their 100th year anniversary, which is awesome. Congratulations. Another thing I wanted to mention about them, you go to their website, the front page, they talk about purpose over profit and they talk about 100% renewable energy from their factory in Randolph, Vermont. They achieve this by using a solar array and a wood pellet boiler. So you've got a company that's making a great product and they're concerned about the environment as well. I can say that they are a great product because I have used these gloves in the past. I lost them, unfortunately. They were certainly put through a lot and held up very well. I was impressed. They were much better than my traditional leather gloves. They were softer too, which I'm not sure if that had to do with the oils and stuff. I loved them, lost them a couple years back, haven't bought another pair. Now that they're on my radar, might be something I need to order again. 
So that was the last company on the list, but I do just have one more thought and some information I want to share. I had made a little note about it with regards to sustainability and the renewable energy from Vermont Glove. Many of us don't understand where our products come from. I was one of those people, and to an extent I still am, but I'm learning a ton from this project. Part of this project is me just kind of surfing the internet, you know, looking for products made in the USA, just random searches, you know, tents made in Tennessee, socks made in California, and just seeing what comes up. It's a whole lot of work. And I recently came across a website for a company that I thought made products here in the USA, but that turned out not to be correct. On their website, they talk about sustainability and carbon footprints, caring for the earth. They also show their supply chain diagram on the website. Now, I can understand from a transparency standpoint while you would put that on there, but I'm not sure why, <laughs> why this company would show this extreme supply chain setup and then talk about sustainability and carbon footprints and caring for the earth at the same time. Let me just give you an idea of what their supply chain looks like. And I'm going to paraphrase some of it because I don't want to mention the company. So here it is. It talks about the raw materials are sourced. Sourced in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, South America, USA, Uruguay, and Argentina. Step two is processing those materials that is done in Germany, Italy, China, Uruguay, Argentina. Then we go to yarn spinning where we have Romania, Bulgaria, and China. Now you've just removed seven and added two more. Step four, getting the fabric. Australia, Turkey, USA. You had raw materials in Australia and USA. Now you've sent them around the world just to get back to Australia and USA. And now you're going to send them to another country, Turkey. Fabric in three countries, but we need the garment suppliers, so we need to go to Vietnam, leave Australia, stay in Turkey, and stay in the USA. Now that we have the garment, we need to get it to the distribution center, and those are across the U.S., so comes from Vietnam and Turkey, bringing it to the U.S., and then it finally makes it to us, which, from their website, looks like all their customers are in the U.S., I bring that up because I want to give you a comparison. There is a company that I will talk about when Montana's turn comes around. They make all of the same clothing plus much more, and they do it all in the USA in Montana. They're making clothing with the same fabrics. It's wool, but it all comes from the USA. And the real kicker here, the thing that really makes me ask what's going on, this company that's sending stuff all around the world to be processed and spun and made into shirts, their prices are more than the company that's doing everything in Montana, and in some cases, twice as much. Now, I absolutely know that the company in Montana makes very high-quality clothing because I have it. This other company used to make good clothing 10-ish years ago, 5-ish years ago, but I haven't bought anything from them. I thought they were out of business because they went bankrupt in 2017. I didn't know they were back in business. And when I found out, I'm like, oh, they make stuff in the U.S. And then I find all this on their website. 
Anyway, I just wanted to share that. Maybe I'll try to get the CEO from this other company on the podcast. Once again, thank you for listening to the show, for, to my rambling at times. Please subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about it. And if you want to be on the podcast or you know a company that needs to be on any of these lists for any states, please email me and let me know. Talk to you soon.